Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you so much for joining us today. You know, today we're going to talk about something a little bit different. We're going to talk about space missions. Specifically, we're going to talk about what space missions can teach us about remote work. Now, I have really not thought much about the connection between the two, but it makes perfect sense when you do think about it. And it makes perfect sense to me now that I've read an article I saw in the MIT Sloan Management Review, written by Tanisri Jane and Louis Brennan on this subject. Now, the two are assistant professor of business and professor of business, respectively, at Trinity Business School at the University of Dublin's Trinity College. And they've done some research on the business of space. Well, Dr. Brennan is our guest today, and he and I had a fascinating discussion about the similarities between being an astronaut on a space mission and being a hybrid worker. He shared some really practical recommendations as to how organizations can learn from space programs and how workers can learn from the experience of astronauts. But super interesting stuff, and it's really practical stuff too. And the information he shared with me can be directly applied to anyone trying to make a success of remote work. So it's an interview you don't want to miss, so please stay with us. Space missions teach us about remote work. My guest today is Dr. Louis Brennan, professor of business at Trinity College at Dublin University. He joins me now to talk about his research on the business of space and what that means for remote workers. Louis, thank you so much for joining me today. You're very welcome, Linda. You know, I find this topic so interesting. But before we even get there, I always like to ask my guests how they ended up doing what they're doing. How did you end up uh, studying space and doing the things you're doing? What path took you there? Yeah, well, I mean, my my um, original background is in engineering, actually, even yeah. though I subsequently um, developed um, an, an interest in the field of business and started to focus more on business. Um, I've always had an interest in aviation, and of course, you know, there are many strong parallels between the development of aviation and, and as I see it, the development of space and particularly the business of space. So back in the um, uh, mid-2000s, I began to think about space and um, space becoming a commercial activity and possible parallels between the evolution and growth of aviation on planet Earth and what might be the possibilities for uh, similar um, developments and growth into space. And so to to the end of the the, uh, 2000s, then I I spent a few years working on a book, which was published in 2011, entitled The Business of Space. Mm -hmm. And remarkably, although back then... um, I think um, many people would have dismissed me as as a space cadet or something um, because there was very little attention and very little going on in terms of commercial space and the the business of space. Over the past decade, we've seen enormous um, developments and huge progress in terms of commercialization of space and growth in the business of space. So... um, I, I've been gratified in many ways by the fact that, um, you know, many of the things uh, that I envisaged in my book back in, in 2011 have actually begun to materialize. But the reality is we're, we're only in the early days of the business of space. We've barely started in terms of the business of space. 
but I see the prospects um, as, as being uh, really, really uh, strong in terms of how it can grow, how it can develop, and ultimately um, how space can benefit planet Earth and humankind. Um, I think that that's uh, whereas space as a curiosity uh, is great, space as a fascination is great, and it certainly, you know, has always been of interest and fascination to us terrestrial beings. Ultimately, it's about how space can benefit planet Earth. And if we think in terms of space as a, a traditional space, it's provided huge benefits over the decades in terms of new inventions, new technologies, and so on. And I see that continuing. Well, what made you think of the parallels between space and remote work? Yeah, well, oddly enough, back in the late 1990s and early 2000s, I, I did some work with a colleague in the U.S., Gina Vega, on what was then known as teleworking. And teleworking wasn't a particular popular um, uh, endeavor at the time. Um, there were there were uh, elements of it here and there. Uh, we got some funding to do a major study on teleworking, including um, a major study on the on the U.S. federal government and teleworking practices and policies there. Um, and then I sort of put it to one side. Um, and of course, then with the with the pandemic um, and the you know the the, the rapid transformation to remote um, working. Um, it came back into focus again, and I began to have conversations with my colleague, um, Thomas Reed Jane, uh, around remote work and so on. And we, we did some studies. Uh, we wrote a few articles. And, and then we began to see, um, given my interest in space and our, our joint interest in remote working, that there actually were strong parallels between um, the way in which space um, missions are, are operated and structured and what's involved in those, particularly for astronauts and for us terrestrial beings um, beavering away in our remote cubicles or whatever, um, in our terrestrial capsules uh, that we call home. Um, so that, that was the basis then for the um, origination of our interest in looking at space and space missions and what lessons and insights we could glean from what has been a very successful endeavor in terms of space missions over the decades and, and what we could draw from that in, into the context of remote working. Well, I want to talk about your recommendations because you did write the paper with Dr. Jane in the MIT Sloan Journal. But let's just go back to remote work. Space mm. missions have been very successful. Remote work during the pandemic has been partially successful, correct? Yes, yeah, that's true. Because of course, um, remote working has been a huge, a huge disruption, um, and requires major transformations. So, as individuals, as um, employees, as staff, you know, we're accustomed to working in the uh, hustle bustle of an office environment, where we have you know open plan offices, lots of opportunities for social interactions. Uh, lots of different activities going on, where whether it's it's going for a coffee with a colleague, heading out to lunch at lunchtime to pick up a sandwich or whatever, um, having the exhilaration of Friday afternoon TGIF and heading out for Friday evening drinks and so on. 
So there's all that ongoing activity. If you like, there are routines embedded in, in traditional work environments that we become accustomed to, that we draw comfort from, that give us a sense of stability, a sense of orientation, and a sense of safety. But fast forward then to the last 18 months and more, suddenly we're stuck at home. Um, we're, we're captives to screens. Um, we don't have the extent by any means of the social interaction that we would have been accustomed to in our traditional work environments. Um, we're in confined spaces. Um, and we have this tendency to uh, see uh, prof our professional lives and our personal lives certainly overlap with one another. And we see more and more of our, our professional lives and our work lives extend into our personal lives. So there's a, a big change, and that big change hasn't really been planned for. And so what, 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 what the essence of what we're saying then is that when you look at the traditional work environment, it's very much embedded in a series of routines that we're familiar with and accustomed to. And all of those routines that we've been accustomed to and that have given us a sense of comfort and a sense of orientation and a sense of stability and so on don't exist as we operate as remote workers. So what we're saying then is that it's important from the point of view of managers uh, to think in terms of creating routines um, for the uh, remote working environment and for remote uh, colleagues and, and remote staff. Well, you have specific recommendations and you use the term, let's see if I can get this right, zeitgeibers, that you have to create those. Sure. How do companies, yes. what is that? And how do companies help with that? Well, uh, zeitgeibers are essentially the environmental cues um, that, that uh, if you like, regulate our circadian rhythms. So you think in terms of sunlight, you think in terms of darkness, um, you think in terms of different activities that we engage in. Um, and they give us a sense of, of, of time. Um, and they also, um, if, if, if our zygotypers are, are present, uh, they, they give us um, a sense of, of, of comfort, um, a sense of positioning. Um, and so when those zygotypers uh, no longer um, are, are available to us, um, it causes discomfort, it can um, cause some anxiety, and ultimately it can affect our, our, our work performance. So if you think in terms of astronauts in space, many of the natural zygivers that they would be accustomed to in their daily lives on planet Earth are, are, no, are, are no longer available to them or are available to them in very restricted limited ways. Um, so what we're saying then is that as far as managers are concerned, it's important for them to manufacture zygivers so that that sense of positioning, that sense of, if you like, the passage of time can be restored. Because one of the things um, that's often commented on in terms of remote working and by remote workers is they lose that sense of time. The days seem to follow one another, um, and people say, "Well, what day of the week is it? What day of the week is it? We don't know. You know, is it Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever?" And then we find, you know, traditionally in the traditional environment, 
there was a, a, a big um, passage uh, between the week and the weekend. Increasingly, what we've seen with remote working is we've seen that the concept of the weekend uh, has, has, has almost disappeared. And people don't have that sense of, of, of what day of the week it is. Um, they've lost the, that, that weekend effect. And so they've, they've become disoriented. So for that reason, then, you know, when, when we look at space missions, we see that absent many of the natural drivers that um, uh, astronauts would be accustomed to on planet Earth, they, they've developed their own in terms of, for example, dining together, in terms of engaging in, in recreational activities together, um, in terms of marking holidays, uh, in terms of uh, regular conversations with, with uh, family via audio or video or whatever. I mean, the same way what we're saying is in, in, in the, the world of remote work, uh, it's important for managers to think about the development and manufacture of, of Zygarbus that, that would fulfill uh, the role that, that the, 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 those in the uh, traditional workplace would, would, would have offered um, staff. Are there examples of companies doing this? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I mean, we've, we've looked at uh, largely technology companies. And so, so we see, um, you know, for example, companies holding um, regular town hall meetings. Um, we see companies um, holding um, virtual coffee mornings, um, that type of thing. We see, for example, when companies have a successful sales um, sale or a, 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 a successful contract, um, they bring a, a gong or, or, or create an event out of it. So in other words, there are small wins, if you like, that are noted and highlighted and gives people an opportunity to bond around a, a common activity or a common achievement. In the same way in space missions, you know, which are, tend to be very long in duration, um, the mission managers tend to uh, divide them up into um, you know, um, intermediate milestones. So when they hit a particular milestone, that's highlighted, that's celebrated, and that's that's noticed. So you feel like you're making progress, you feel like you're you're achieving something rather than being lost in in an unknown world. And and likewise, um, in the context of remote working. Um, you know, celebrating small wins like that, creating an activity um, that's done on a regular basis provides cues to employees and, and help employees then to feel part of something that notwithstanding the social isolation of remote working, uh, they have something to bond around, they have something in common to relate to, uh, they, 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 they feel a togetherness, uh, a sense of collegiality. Interesting. Now, you say that companies need to plan for both structure and flexibility. Can you elaborate on that? Sure, yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, when, when um, employees um, think about remote working, of course, one of the things they think about uh, as a plus is flexibility. Mm -hmm. But flexibility is a two-edged sword in the sense that um, you know, flexibility is great because, you know, I can go and collect kids from school. Um, but on the other hand, flexibility also means I could be working late into the night. 
could be means I'm working at the weekends. So it's important then to have a balance between structure and flexibility. Um, and that can be done by managers by you know, encouraging very strongly that employees stick to a standard working week. Um, so things, things, things of that nature, so that um, rather than uh, work taking over because you're, you're in a sense being over flexible, you balance the two together. I found it interesting. You, in your article, said you don't think companies should be 100% remote, that there is value in being together part of the Oh, yes. Yeah, very, very much so. Um, you know, um, remote is great in terms of, uh, as I say, um, providing that degree of flexibility, but it does have, have the effect of, uh, you know, um, taking people apart. Um, and much of what what takes place at the workplace is is around relationship building, the development of trust, and so on. And sure, in the remote context, you can you can you can do some relationship building and trust building and so on. But it's only with face to face interaction that, that that's possible at the workplace that you, you can really develop uh, those relationships and that trust and that sense of purpose in the remote context. Yes, there are things you can do to try and ensure that these things happen and are nurtured and strengthened and so on. But ultimately, it does require some degree of face-to-face activity. Um, It'll be really interesting to see how that works out because one of the things that interests me is that with wholly remote work, you can live far away because a city like Dublin is extremely expensive. And if you can you know, be somewhere else, it really opens up who you can hire and everything else. But you don't think we'll see that Ultimately, you think people will still be back? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it depends very much on on, on the, the nature of the work you're doing. Um, I think if you're doing very, just, let's say, discrete contract type work, um, where there's a very finely prescribed um, task to be done, it's very easy to see such work being done effectively and successfully. But if you're talking about work which requires collaboration, um, and which requires brainstorming and a great degree of creativity and innovation. Um, and I don't think you have the same impact uh, when colleagues are working remotely and are distant, physically distant from one another, as in the case of if you have colleagues co-located and, 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 and being brought together from time to time. So yes, what you're talking about is certainly possible, but I would caution that it's it's more possible for particular types of work than for others. Fair enough. You know, it's uh, interesting that you mentioned astronauts feel isolated because you know they're far away, which is how remote workers feel too. And you say companies need to prioritize internal communications. How do they do that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Because um, I think what's underappreciated is that when we're remote, when we're distant, in the case of astronauts from mission control, which is really the headquarters in the case of, of, of uh, astronauts, when we are remote from, from um, you know, the, the corporate HQ or from the top level managers, uh, we do feel that sense of, of isolation. It's very easy to feel that we're being forgotten about, that we're being ignored and so on. And there's actually, in that kind of situation, a very normal tendency uh, to to take particular incidents and amplify their significance and 
their, their negativity as opposed to if they happened in the office in a face-to-face context. Um, so in, in terms then of um, communication and the need to maintain communication, and this is one of the things we'd see very much from space missions that, you know, space missions originally would have, would have been, um, many of these um, uh, aspects would have been associated with them in terms of, of feeling a bit disconnected, ignored and not being understood and so on, lack of empathy and so forth. That's all been overcome because in space missions, they have very, very regular, frequent communications, um, check-ins and so on on a regular basis. So in the context of remote working, uh, your manager needs to be engaging with you regularly. And it's, it's regular engagement, not just in terms of the task, but it's also regular engagement in terms of how you're doing, what's happening, that sort of thing. So that... Um, the remote worker feels part of something, feels being that they're being acknowledged, that they're being recognized, and that there is a, um, a community present. Um, and that coupled then with, you know, imagining uh, the, the design of social events, albeit virtual, um, also creates opportunities for informal communications. Um, in, in the remote work environment, uh, you know, um, Formal communications are, of course, very easy, but informal communications, the, the nature of which really are the basis for the formation of strong ties and strong bonds are more difficult to achieve. But by, by, by um, instituting social activities, fun activities in the online world, you can help to create some of that, some of, some of that sense of of, of, of the collective and some of that sense of bonding and that some sense of, of togetherness. And remember, all of that is positive for overall performance. I mean, if you have disconnected employees who feel that they're not fully part of, um, it's, you know, the danger is, the risk is that it's going to impact on their performance. Which companies are doing this well? There's some in, in the um, in, in the tech sector. I mean, I'd particularly sing, single uh, single out um, Salesforce, uh, which has a um, a very enlightened approach, actually, um, to uh, this new world of remote working. Um, I mean, one example is the the way it goes out of its way uh, to bring new employees on board albeit much of this is taking place remotely and virtually, but they, they, they have a very conscious, very deliberate uh, plan in place and a, a set of activities uh, that are very pur- purposeful in terms of bringing in the new employee, forging relationships, gaining trust and so on, and making them pe- feel part of as opposed to not really part of. So I would mention them as, as as particularly impressive in that respect. Interesting. Okay, so let's look to 2022. Uh, remote work isn't going anywhere. Some companies want it to continue, some don't, but they're not really willing to say we're done yet. What are the most important things for organizations to be thinking about? Okay, well, I think that there's, I think overall what's most important is for organizations to appreciate um, the huge disjunction that's taken place that all of those routines that we were accustomed to in the traditional workplace 
and which became disrupted and which we've lost. Um, and because of the, the overnight um, change from the traditional workplace to remote working, um, you know, we're forgotten about, that the imperative really is to ensure on the part of managers that new routines are put in place. And um, whether that has to do with the development of Zeitgeber's um, or um, the, the balancing of structure and flexibility and the way all of that is organized, or um, the, the constant uh, internal communications between uh, managers and their staff. All of that helps in terms of ensuring that the remote workforce are a happier, more productive workforce, and that overall performance um, is, is maintained, if not improved. Um, so I, what, what I would highlight really is the need to, to have routines in place so that um, remote workers don't feel that sense of disorientation, don't feel that sense of, of, of isolation um, that is oftentimes a part and parcel of remote working. Louis, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you. Dr. Louis Brennan is Professor of Business at Trinity College. Well, that's it for today. If you want to know more about Professor Brennan and his work, take a look at our show notes. You'll find some links there. If you'd like to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at, at @relentlesseco. Now, if you did enjoy this discussion about the future of work and about space in the future of work, please take a moment and subscribe and also leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. That's how people find podcasts and it will really help us continue these discussions. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work and the Future Podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production. Thank you.